Well, thank you all for coming. Um, a quick prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, in all things, I pray that you would speak uh, above me. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, um, good morning. And so I probably overstated the case a little bit with the title of the, the class. Um, this is not two weeks on, on Psalms um, in an exegetical kind of sense or talking about multiple psalms. In fact, next week will be more on Job than it will be on psalms. But this week, Psalm 88, uh, should have said that in the title instead of the, the psalms, because that's a lot to cover in a, in a day. <laughs> so um, to, to specify, if you want to... And I didn't see any Bibles when, when we came in, but most people have an app or can just Google it. So Psalm 88, if you, if you want to, there's no rush. We'll, we'll ramble for a few minutes before we get there. So um, kind of the undergirding theme to the class is this concept of vulnerability. Uh, it, it, it's, it's something that pops up in, in classes around here from time to time anyway. And, and so wanted to, to revisit that uh, today a little bit more in a positive context. Next week, maybe in a negative context where it's not, you know, today it's more of a good thing. Next week, it's, it's more of a bad thing. And so wanted to play with that. What prompted me to think about that, and again, just kind of a preview for next week, this was an article in Christianity Today, I don't know, six weeks ago, um, uh, back before the holidays, uh, closer to Thanksgiving, where somebody uh, wrote about vulnerability, referenced a couple of celebrities, a couple of TV shows, um, nothing that TV shows I've never seen, um, but um, talked about how vulnerability and openness can be a very, very negative thing, a very unnecessary thing. Um, and in, those are in some very specific cases, which I, we can look at at a later time. But it got me thinking about where that, where, uh, where vulnerability and openness and honesty are good and where maybe they're a little unnecessary. Uh, in fact, maybe... Um, uh, maybe not even needed. In fact, next week's class is entitled Here's the Shutting Up, uh, which is a, those, uh, those, those are rock band in the late 90s had an album by that title. Um, and so you'll, that'll, that'll be in the, the adventure for everybody to see in their, in, in their email Tuesday morning. But um, I wanted to kind of play around with, with the two of those things. Uh, today, look at it more in a positive sense where vulnerability can be a good thing, uh, where, uh, where we identify um, where vulnerability with God in a vertical sense enhances our vulnerability with other people in a horizontal sense and where that can be positive. Um, but the context that, in which it comes up, I feel like it's, it's pretty common today, and I tend to reject it on the front end. I don't really like it. because It all sounds very Oprah. Um, <laughs> uh, in fact, um, do, how many of you are familiar with Brene Brown? The, uh, the, the, um, okay, yeah, she, she spoke... Um, did she speak at St. Luke's? Was it last year, or it was sponsored by St. Luke's? It was one of it was one of those things was the case. Um, a couple of books that have been bestsellers. In fact, though, I think Oprah may have helped with that. I'm trying to remember. Um, conceptually, her her notion of vulnerability is is I think a good thing, but I think it, it tends to fall more in the in the level of maybe a half truth. And so this class is not beat up on Brene Brown, but it is just kind of to take a concept that is very very. Um, uh, well regarded culturally and in fact is mostly a good thing but just kind of play around with it and so um, with that said I'm open to interruptions interjections comments or criticisms now through the end of the class um, in fact the less I talk probably the better so anything that you, you want to would chime in with um, by all means but I, I pulled up this morning um, I don't want to do I don't want to do any audiovisual stuff if you've been to more than one or two of my classes I, I rely on that way too heavily and so um, there, there, there's no, no, uh, no video, no audio, just me. I'm very sorry about that. <laughs> um, so Brene Brown got, um, 
kind of came into the forefront giving these talks at these TED conferences. Um, it's a technology, education, and design is what it stands for. Um, and so these are these are talks that are given very often by experts, occasionally by um, kind of um, um, internet geniuses like Mark Zuckerberg, who kind of just kind of come out of nowhere. And other times, people who spend their life doing research and and studying stuff of various topics that they, they kind of hit on something very interesting. Occasionally some of these talks are really overdone and it's a bunch of nonsense. Very often though, that's something that uh, at the very least is intriguing and worth some discussion. And so um, here's some, this is a transcript of, I believe she's done more than one of these talks, but this is one that is is pretty, um, pretty solid. Um, and this is a problem with an iPhone where you hit the wrong, you, know, you scroll up and you don't mean to. So she's talking about vulnerability and worthiness and where she gets into this and she ends up talking to her therapist. All right. So I found a therapist. My first meeting with her, Diana, I brought in my list of, of the way the wholehearted live and I sat down and so she was struggling a little bit. But she's studying where people have the strong sense of worthiness come from. and. Um, and this is where she kind of ends up. And, uh, and Dana says to her, how are you? And I said, I'm great. I'm okay. She said, what's going on? And this is a therapist who sees therapists because we have to go to those because their BS meters are good. <laughs> and so I said, here's the thing. I'm struggling. And she said, what's the struggle? And I said, well, I have a vulnerability issue. And I know that vulnerability is the core of shame and fear and our struggle for worthiness. But it appears that it's also the birthplace of joy, of creativity, of belonging, of love. And I think I have a problem and I need some help. And I said, but here's the thing, referring to herself, there's no family stuff, no childhood stuff, I'm editing there. I just need some strategies. And, uh, and Dana gave her a response that I'm reading a transcript, apparently she motioned in some way um, because she, and she says she goes like this and I don't know what this looks like. Um, maybe I should have had a video. <laughs> and then I, this is, this is Brown talking, and then I said, it's bad, right? And she said, it's neither good nor bad. It just is what it is. And I said, oh my God, this is going to suck. <laughs> and it did and it didn't. And it took about a year. And you know how there are people that when they realize that vulnerability and tenderness are important, that they surrender and walk into it. And I can actually relate to this next part. A, that's not me. And B, I don't even hang out with people like that. <laughs> For me, it was a year-long street fight. It was a slugfest. Vulnerability pushed and I pushed back. I lost the fight, but probably won my life back. So she got in the middle of her research, and she's a social science researcher, and she dealt with a lot of really nitty-gritty stuff. Uh, when I did research, it was on the Civil War, which was nitty-gritty, but in a completely objective, distant sort of way. Um, her, her, her things were, were much more delicate. My problem with that, where my inner Calvinist really kind of shakes his fist, which, which he does that a lot, by the way, um, all that talk of joy and happiness is... Jesus didn't have to die for that. And so just to kind of set the stage a little bit is, is I, I feel that all that discussion, as valuable as it is, it doesn't quite go far enough, I feel like. And so um, that's just kind of setting the stage. Any, any thoughts, comments? If I may. Uh, no, I, no, you may not. I do agree. I read Please, the book greatly. And did you like that? I, I did. I wanted to read it. And I heard her TED Talks. And you know, I totally agree with you because she says in her books, the core of that wholeheartedness is the thought that I am enough. I think she is a Christian. She at mm -hmm. least goes to a, a church in her book. But um, 
I agree. It doesn't take it far enough because if we're enough, what is Christ? Right. Yeah. I wanted to um, to poke around just just maybe maybe this is not necessary. The difference between vulnerability and honesty. I think her her, her concept of vulnerability is really really valuable. Um, I, I think we live, especially in, in terms of social media and, and 24-hour um, television, not just news, but just constant <laughs> TV things, um, we live in a, in a place where honesty is probably more common than it ought to be. Uh, I, I said I'll talk a little bit next week where vulnerability is at times something that we, we ought to rein in. But I definitely think honesty is, is way too much. I saw a video a while back, and even if I wanted to do video stuff today, I, I don't know that I could have shown this because I can't find it. It's one of those things that kind of popped up on some form of social media now, I don't know where it is. It's one of these online internet comedy troops, kind of like Saturday Night Live or, or SCTV, but just kind of limited to the internet, where it shows a guy in an office setting, and everything he says comes out of his mouth. Like, all this dialogue is like a Facebook status update. <laughs> and so, um, you know, everybody is kind of standing around their water cooler talking about, you know, the, the football game they watched the night before, and all he just says is, guys, I'm sad. <laughs> or, uh, he, you know, everybody's having a, a snack in the, in the break room. He's like, I love my cats. And so all he's saying is just really, really honest, but it, it's, it's incredibly shallow. It's not helpful. Um, it, it's, it's mildly inappropriate. Um, you know, we just got through the holidays, and, and you know, th- that's one of those times where, where you, you see popping up on the Internet articles about what not to do at Thanksgiving. And, and one of them is, you know, if you're a foodie, don't be a foodie, just eat. You know, just, yeah, it came out of a box. It's processed. Just eat it. You know, fix yourself something later. Um, and, and, and you know that, that's a case where, where your honesty is probably not welcome. You know your your thoughts on the cranberry sauce, <laughs> not 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 worth going for. Um, you know um, there's a, there's a writer who writes for uh, Forbes, Megan McArdle, who actually wrote a really great book lately on failure. If you if you're into that sort of thing, very much worth reading. And she uh, one of her side issues is she always writes about food. She 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 and her husband are, are kind of amateur cooks, and and she talked about you know what to do at Thanksgiving. Her 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 big advice was just eat. You know, don't worry about the calories. Don't worry about who made it. If it tastes bad, just nibble a little bit. And if you like it, don't feel guilty. And and for heaven's sake, don't stir up a, a hornet's nest at, at Thanksgiving because you felt it ought to be cooked differently, um, which is which is pretty good advice. But you know, th- that's a case where honesty. You know, that's just being honest. It's not really being vulnerable. Um, and again, kind of looking towards what I'll see about for next week, that there's definitely a place for maybe not not touching into that that you know being comfortable with yourself, which she talks about all the time. Maybe, maybe you are comfortable with yourself. Um, maybe you need to let your freak flag fly sometimes. <laughs> but more often than not, maybe, I, I don't know. Um, vulnerability in a Christian context, though. I think Paul in Romans 7, uh, where, where he really gets to, you know, Romans is really kind of the heart of the Reformation. So for those of us who are kind of Reformation-minded Christians, that, that's an incredibly valuable um, book in the Bible. I hate to say it's more important than anywhere else, but there, there's a lot there that's kind of kind of boiled down um, in a way that you don't have to you don't you don't pick through. You're not kind of reading into anything. It's just kind of right there. Um, I think Paul gets at some horizontal, um, not horizontal, excuse me, vertical vulnerability between himself and God when he talks about doing things he doesn't want to do, um, not doing things he does want to do, um, which is which I think is a bit of, of what, sh- what what Brene Brown's getting at in terms of discussing who you really and truly are. Paul gets at it, though, in terms of, of his core issue, which, which being, being sin. I mean, he, Paul's not saying, God, I really want to get up at 5 o'clock every morning and go running, which I do. But that, that's me. I mean, I want to get up at 5 o'clock every morning and go running. Um, my wife is, has, you know, bless her, has managed to be able to get up at like 4.45 every morning and go to a 5 o'clock spin class. 
and I'll, I say to her about about every night, the night before, like I'm gonna get in the morning. I'm gonna I'm gonna read. Uh, what, 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 I'm reading two novels, both of which are like 800 pages long. Like, I'm gonna get up in the morning. I'm gonna finish Bleak House. And she comes back at 6:15, and like I'm scrambling to get out of bed and like, like at least get before the computer so it looks like I've been up. Um, or she walks in and I'm just you know my head's dangling off the side of the bed and I'm, because I tried to get up and then just fell fell back to sleep. Um, Paul's not talking about that. I mean, he's talking he's talking about sin. I mean, he's he's talking about this sort of vulnerability that's only fixed if it's fixed at all, but it's only fixed because Jesus died. Um, it's not something that that says, "Oh, I'm enough. I'm okay. You know, I'm I'm okay." Um, there's no "I'm okay. You're okay" in there. It's 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 something much more um, much more significant with that. Um, and so I think that's more what we're what we're aiming for, a little bit more what we're looking towards. Um, so the bigger scripture reference, though, I was going for was Psalm 88. So if y'all want to sit quietly while I pull it up on my phone, because <laughs> I forgot to do that. I did have a nice little Bible app, but I went on a field trip with my son's class and realized I didn't have enough room to take pictures. And so um, that app got cut. <laughs> and I've not put it back on eBay, though. I've still got that. The Target app, still got that one. Just being honest. All right, give me just a second. All right, so I'm going to, I'll just, I'll read this through. So Psalm 88, O Lord God of my salvation. I'm going to stop real here. Charles Spurgeon in his commentary says that's the most positive thing that's said in this entire psalm. Um, that's the most uplifting thing is that he's able to cry out to his God. After that, it's just all downhill. And so um, I'm going to just kind of break it up and go through, through there. O Lord God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those who remember you no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and dark and deep, your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eyes grow dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you in the morning. My prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close, and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. It's a very positive, uplifting passage of scripture. Any initial reactions? What's the context of the 
we were, we were talking about that last night, and to be honest, I don't remember. There, uh, I want to say that's when David's running for his life. Like I, I think that I think that may be the case. Which, if it is, I mean that, that that's a little uh, in the initial reading. If that's the case, that's frustrating because it really makes you feel like, well, I mean, David's on the run. You know, he's, somebody wants to cut his head off. And, you know, meanwhile, I'm stuck in traffic. You know, I mean, it, um, if you've seen the, that, that, this internet joke, um, white people problems, where he's like, oh, my reservation's not ready. Or, you know, the gazpacho's not cold enough. Um, you know, that, that sort of thing that, that ultimately kind of bothers you, but really is not that big a deal. Um, on the other hand, while, that, while, you know, while that's the context, it's not mentioned in the passage, so... You know, it's, it, I think it is. It's you know, it's good to know where he's coming from. On the other hand, it's not limited to that. But yeah, I think that I want to say he's like hiding in a cave somewhere, hoping you know he didn't get his head chopped off or thrown in prison or whatever. Um, so rough times for David. Yeah, I mean, he, he jumps right to it. I mean, he gets, he goes all, I mean, he talks about being down. I mean, he, he goes all the way down. I mean, if, if, if like a 15-year-old wrote this in creative writing class, I mean, you, the, the teacher might make a copy and hand it to the guidance counselor. Um, you know, this is, the, this is very, very heavy. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, his, his, his association with death, I mean, it, there's a sense in which he literally feels like he is going to die either from grief or because somebody else is going to kill him. Um, and it, it's interesting. I think, I think I think where that's valuable for us just to kind of jump into it. It gives us a license to maybe feel the same way, and not in an unhealthy sense. You know, not in the I need to talk to somebody kind of way, which maybe we do, but also in just kind of the reality that whatever whatever we're grappling with when you hit rock bottom can be really really serious. Um, anything else? Um, I'm going to plagiarize. Not plagiarize. I'm going to borrow heavily from Charles Spurgeon's commentary here um, because it's good. These pages got all set together because our, 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 our one-year-old's bottle spilled. So, um, all right. And I, I can't go through the whole thing because it's just very, very long. Um, but again, I mean, Spurgeon notes that in the beginning when he, when he, when he says, oh, Lord God of my salvation, that that's, that's the only good news we got going on here. I mean, this is this is someone who is who is a believer um, and in you know New Testament times we would call a Christian, um, but from there on out it's it's one it's one bit of trouble after the other. Um, I referenced in the title of the class a band called the National. Some of you may be familiar with them, some of you may not. Um, what I, what I should have thought of is the title of the most recent album is um, "Trouble Will Find Me." Um, and I, mean, I think that's that's a recurring theme in Psalms that trouble trouble's going to find you. Uh, and again, it may be it may be just kind of nagging day to day sort of things. It may be something that pops up once and never shows up again. Uh, on the other hand, it may be um, I mean not maybe it will be at some point death. Uh, I work in insurance, and the the joke around our office is in terms of selling life insurance is that's the one claim everybody's going to file, um, which I'd not heard until recently. But 
that's very much true. Um, and so, uh, you know, what, what, what's happened here to the psalmist is that troubles found him. Um, you know, in verse 4, where I'm count, he says, I'm counted among them that go down into the pit. Spurgeon says, his weakness is so great that both, um, or he's, in, he's writing as though he is the psalmist, kind of flushing out. He said, my weakness is so great that both myself and others I am considered Others I am considered as good as dead. If those about me have not ordered my coffin, this is nice, they have at least conversed about my sepulchre, discussed my estate, and reckoned their share of it. Many a man has been buried before he was dead. The only mourning over him has been because he refused to fulfill the greedy expectations of his hypocritical relatives by refusing to go down to the pit at once. It has come to do... It has come to this with some afflicted believers that their hungry heirs think they have lived too long I am as a mat that hath no strength. I have but the name to, the name to live. My constitution is broken up. Um, the sons and daughters of sorrow will need but little explanation of these sentences. They are to such tried ones as household words. Um, so this is, this is going to be a passage of scripture to which we can pretty readily identify. Anything? Oh, all right. Let me see what else I wanted to say. So, I said I wasn't going to do any, any audiovisual stuff because um, bands don't make videos anymore, so it's not like you can just show a music video. Uh, that doesn't work real well. Um, and I don't want to just sit here and have you guys listen to something. And um, there's just a really big cuss word in the song, let's be really honest with you. So, heads up if you want to go listen to it. Um, I'm going to read the lyrics of the song, though. Um, it's by the National. It's on their most recent record, which is called "Trouble Will Find Me," and the song is called "Demons." And it's it's psychological demons. It's not like you know, little devils chasing after him. Um, and it's very very similar to, to Psalm 88. So let me just let me just read this. We'll see some some similarities. When I think of you in the city, the sight of you among the sights, I get this sudden sinking feeling of a man about to fly. Never kept me up before. Now I've been awake for days. I can't fight it anymore. I'm going through an awkward phase. That's a nice way of putting it. I am secretly in love with everyone I grew up with. Do my crying underwater. I can't get down any farther. All my drowning friends can see. Now there is no running from it. It's become the crux of me. I wish that I could rise above it. And the chorus that and he just kind of says this over and over a few times is, but I stay down with my demons. And the song's got kind of a dirge-like quality to it. It's very, a lot of repetition, kind of the same, um, the bass line is kind of pulsing and, and, and stays the same. It's not a very loud song. Um, not, not very, music's not very aggressive. And so this is kind of just flows, kind of goes back and forth. Passing buzzards in the sky, alligators in the sewers. I don't even wonder why, hide among the underviews. Huddle with them all night long. The worried talk to God goes on. I sincerely tried to love it. I wish that I could rise above it. And then he repeats the chorus, but I stay down with my demons. I stay down with my demons. In the third verse, the music kind of soars a little bit, and, and, and the singing is a little bit more emotional. Can I stay here? I can sleep on the floor. Paint the blood and hang the palms on the door. I do not think I'm going places anymore. I want to see the sun come up above New York. Oh, every day I start so great, but then the sunlight dims. The less I've learned, the more I see the pythons in the limbs. I do not know what's wrong with me. Sours in the cup. When I walk into a room, I do not light it up. And there's a really big cuss word, which kind of fits in the motif of the song in terms of expressing frustration, but it's just not, I don't want to go there in class. And then he repeats the chorus line over and over again, but I stay down with my demons. And so here you've got a guy um, who is 
whatever's wrong, he is, he's kind of in the same place a psalmist is. Not on the run from his life, but um, has an intense feeling that is just not going away, that it, things are about as bad as they're going to get. And what I appreciate about the song, and I don't know, um, the guy who wrote the, who, who wrote the lyrics um, is, is the, the singer for the band. His name's Matt Berninger, I believe it's pronounced. Um, no idea what his faith is. I know um, personally and professionally that band is friends with some people who are Christians. Um, and not just kind of nominal Christians, but like church-going, I think, Presbyterians. Um, and so there's, there's some interaction with that in their life. I don't know how they were raised in terms of, you know, where did their parents drag them to church when they were 12? But the two, the two um, spiritual references there about the worried talk to God goes on. I mean, this is, this is not, you know, God is not absent here. I mean, there's, he's, he's, he's hearing something. Uh, what, what all he's hearing and what all his response is is kind of left, uh, left to, to the imagination of the, of the listener, but, but God is present. Uh, and then the imagery of uh, um, hanging palms and, and blood on the door um, I think it's a really good biblical imagery. I mean, you don't you don't run that, that's pretty creative, pretty thoughtful. So he's he's looking for some protection here. I mean, so there, there's there's a sense in which they he is he's looking to God for for help. Um, how far he wants to go with that, and and if he were sitting in this room, how far he wants to go with that in, in his own life, I don't know. And I'm not gonna not gonna put words in his mouth and say that. Um, and I'm not trying to make any kind of broader cultural analysis here either, because of the song. I mean. The, the, the days of that, that rock band. I was looking at, we were looking at Legion Field the other day and thinking about you know, uh, REM selling it out to 60,000 people in 1995. Was anybody there, REM, Radiohead? Yeah. I was in eighth grade, so it would have been 95. It was right after What's the Frequency Kenneth came out. Okay. And Radiohead opened up. Yep. Yeah. I was in eighth grade. Yep. <laughs> hey, I, that's really Please. Cool. Is that, is, was Legion Field where the Rolling Stones no, it's okay. <laughs> but see, what, you know, where, where things like that were really helpful, though, there was a time when you could just drop a band's name or, or, or even like a TV show's name, and everybody kind of knew what you were talking about, whereas now... Right. That was my... No clue yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and, and Lori and I were talking about this, like, I'm thinking, like, so this is a band, when a new record comes out, it's, you're going to find it at Best Buy and probably even Target. Eventually, they're going to stop carrying it, but, I mean, they're big enough to, where that would happen. If they came to Birmingham, I'm trying to think where they would... They could probably sell at the Alabama Theater, which is, I mean, that's not nothing, but it's not REM at Legion Field either. So, I mean, I had that problem when I taught high school. I would, you know, all my friends would watch, you know, Mad Men. And even that could get talked about here. And then my, my high schoolers would be like, what's that? We watched, what do what what 15 year old girls watch? Pretty Little Liars. I don't even know, I don't know what that is. You know, it's, it's just, apparently it's a TV show. It's apparently it's popular. I saw the DVDs at Target one day, and so you know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to try to overstate that, um, but it's just something I ran across, and, and I thought the, the connection there was good. Um, please, ma'am. 
I think it's got. I don't want to overstate that. I mean, yeah, we. Um, I've listened. I've listened to the. You know, well, you know, I mean, we've. We, I mean, there have been classes. I mean, Stephen Schaefer did, a, did did several classes on um, box mass and B minor when. Well, and, and I'll admit, I mean, I'll admit it from my, one of the own flaws in my own teaching is I, that case can be overstated. Um, I mean, it can. And so that's why, I mean, that's part of why I just read those lyrics and didn't bring in anything for anybody to watch or listen to and, and kind of overdo it. Um, I think that the, the, the reason we tended to do this, and I'm, I mean, I'm not on staff, um, I'm not clergy, oh, I know but the, the, re, the, reason, the reason, though, it comes up sometimes is... One, I mean, when you teach, and I don't preach, but I think there's a connection between the two, you have to give a little bit of where you are, uh, a little bit of what you, what makes sense to you and hopes to communicate that to other people. Um, on, on the other hand, I, I feel like, and, th- and then again, this is a class, it's not a sermon, so I, th- I think there's some liberty just kind of to play around a little bit more. When, when there are things, whether it's music, movies, television, certainly literature, that kind of exist outside the walls of the church that may be tapping into some kind of universal human concern or human need, I, I think I think drawing those parallels is, is it can be can be beneficial. And I don't want to and I really, really don't want to overstate that case because Psalm eighty eight's um, valuable in a way that no rock band is valuable. You know, it's valuable in a way that no book is valuable. Um, and, and Lord knows I love literature, but I mean, the, the scripture stands above that, but it's, it's just a connection. Lida, yeah? I have a question. Do you think maybe the text could be, and I don't know if this is the right word, but prophetic in the sense of uh, Christ's suffering? That's where we were headed next. Where you're headed there. Okay. <laughs> yes. No, and I, but, you know, I, that, that, I think, and I'll just jump to it because I don't, you know, this is, this is, this is not, um, we don't, we don't have to like bury the, the ending. Yeah, I mean that was the takeaway, um, and I kind of, sh- and I'll be honest, I kind of struggled with with finding that up until a couple of days ago, because I didn't know how to end it real well. But yeah, I think it is prophetic. I mean, I think it's it's, it's I think it is it's beneficial to a Christian in two senses. One, here is King David being extremely open and honest, and to use that word, vulnerable about where he is in a particular moment, and so we can identify with that suffering almost horizontally with David. And and can can be open. Um, I mean, he's just. I mean, he is just pointing the finger at God. I mean, he is outside of maybe Job, but that he's 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 pretty ticked off, and it's all directed at God. I mean, to to, to use the line from the song, that's a lot of worry. Talk to God, and um, and just reading it just now, it, it kind of struck me again. He is he he blames God for everything, um, and what we know is that um, in in it's you know. Our, you know, wherever our theology is, I mean, we, we, we know that the fault ultimately lies with David and it ultimately lies with all of us. But to get to that second point that, that, that Lotta mentions, that it is prophetic. And that's the second level of hope and the deeper level of hope here is that it all points to, and, and, and Spurgeon uses, or uses this phrase, the suffering Savior. Um, and so it, it, it's almost a sense in which God is saying, 
not almost, it is, God saying, you're telling me it's my fault, and it's not my fault, but I'm going to treat it as though it's my fault on Calvary. And, and so, you know, you can, you know, the, the fault ultimately lies with David, and it ultimately lies with us. I mean, it's, you know, it's not my fault my grand, grandfather's died, you know, and I was sad about that and was suffering because of that. It's, you know, all kinds of other bad things in our lives, they're not our fault in that sense, but the brokenness of the world, which leads to sin, you know, leads to death and originates in sin, yeah, we're on the hook for that. But, um, and so, you know, God hears, you know, David's, David's, um, David's cries, um, which, you know, maybe he's just complaining, maybe it's a much more serious thing, but on, but on the cross, yeah, and I, I think that's, that's the big takeaway, is that, um, that it, it ultimately it points to that, that it, it points to, to a Savior who is going to be abandoned by God, um, however temporarily, for, all for the purposes of um, forgiveness of sins, yeah. It is kind of beautiful when you read it, though. You, 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 it starts off saying, uh, recognizing that he's saving us. And then you go to the end, and it, he's like, your wrath has swept over me, your salt. So he knows he knows it's God that has caused all of this, whether good or bad, bad in this song, to happen. Right. And I think, um, as Christians, that's what we have to do. Thank him, <laughs> acknowledge him, but at the same time, know that there's some freedom there to talk back <laughs> a right. little bit, you know. Right. And be like, what, what's going on? You know, I know what you do in the Sunday. But just to have that active struggle with God, I think, is, is yeah. so healthy, and I think that's where that <coughs> vulnerability kind of can come from. He's pointing it in the right direction rather than in, in a permanent ground saying, look in yourself and look what right. the problem is. Yeah. Well, and as I started reading it, I kind of wanted to joke, man, he's got a, he's got a clear grasp of God's sovereignty here, but he does, and, and that's a good thing. We've got a problem at our house right now with an almost six-year-old and a just-turned-three-year-old who love talking back, and so we say, don't talk to us that way, about 15 times a day, and sometimes we just say it and move on, other times we say it and then throw them in the room for 10 minutes or, or whatever, um, and you, know, you don't get any dessert or, you know, you don't get to play in the tub or, or just whatever. And, and so this is kind of a constant cycle, but I mean, like God doesn't like reach down and slap David. Like he's free to, to kind of cut loose there. Um, and I don't think we have to, you know, in terms of true vulnerability, yeah, I mean, we're not, we're not looking inward, which, and I, I like what I've read for the most part on that topic from, from that author, but there is that really, really thin line between a good kind of healthy view of things and then just bending right over and staring at your navel. You know, doing the whole navel gazing thing. I mean, there's a really, really narrow um, vantage point. But in, in David's case, there's that confidence that, you know, that yes, this is the God of my salvation. So, yeah, I can kind of lay this out here. And I, and he also knows in, implicitly that none of this happens outside of God's control. And, and C.S. Lewis kind of worked through that. So, well, if God's all powerful and if it happens, then clearly he ha- he allowed it to happen. So we can address him as though he is ultimately responsible for this thing that happened. Yes. So if I'm following you, sir, effectively, our vulnerability, our positive vulnerability, is acknowledging that we're the object, not the subject, that we're being acted upon, not that we're acting on other things. That, I think that's true. Yeah. I think an easier way to say it is the, the question earlier was when you talked about there being honesty and vulnerability. Honesty is something you can control. Vulnerability, to your point, you're the object. You you are a part of something else. If you're if 
you're a, port, a fortress and your walls are vulnerable, it's not because of something you're doing, it's because of the outside forces. Right. And where that points to in Psalm 88 is that here's David, someone that we as, as Christians and believers hold to a certain standard. Of course, you, you read in his uh, history in Samuel and he's just broken and dirty of a man that you could ever imagine, but, but he was faithful and God was faithful. But the vulnerability, uh, if you are vulnerable, then you realize your place uh, as part of the order of things, that there is a greater power, there is God, there is a, uh, that he has sent a Savior that's died for you. And you point to uh, things in life where I'm not as bad as that person, or maybe that's kind of you know, this uh, subjective view of the world. And you look at Psalm 88, and you talk about the far end of the continuum. We know we are not as bad as this when you read that. But I think when you reread it and reread it, you realize we are absolutely as bad as that. We just don't recognize that. And so, to I think to answer your question, say we are the object uh, rather than the subject. That's a great point that we're the object and that we're every bit as broken as this but it's not the fact that we're stuck stuck in traffic it's how we're reacting to it right and we should be wailing you know if we're not praying right. this prayer right we're not recognizing how, how deep uh, our sin is and how great the savior is right that's right when i when i hear and if, if you you know if you're any kind of sports fan you hear this all this kind of coach speak all the time about well you can control how you react to a certain situation it's like well I mean, yeah, you, you you don't have to charge the mound or yell at the official. I mean, you know, there there is a certain level of control, but I think like that that runs out of steam real fast when you get off the football field or you get off the basketball court. I mean, there, there's a level of which you know, I can't, and I think that's kind of the the sense in which we're we're the objects, and um, I mean that gets into a whole you know a whole level of you know what what are we responsible for and that sort of thing, which is kind of a, a separate but related discussion. But yeah, I mean, I, I think. Um, I, I mentioned the, the reference of our kids in terms of, of you know, their, their constant back talk, um, which is not okay with us, but is okay with God. Um, I don't know how that works, but there you go. Um, I, th- I think there's what, what we've learned is we, we're young parents and don't know anything. One little thing we kind of have picked up on though is, is, is some of their emotional reactions they have, and there's thir- three kids and they're all different. It's not like they're sitting in their room scribbling out, I'm going to react in such and such a way. That's an incredibly humbling thing, um, because I mean, at that point, they do become an object, and, and God, in His sovereignty, and in some sense, in His grace and mercy, has allowed for His glory and maybe the kids' benefit, maybe their maybe maybe their parents' benefit, to learn from those that behavioral situation, which is you know wildly irrational behavior in some sense, and and you know acting in a way that that is. In, extremely frustrating because they didn't get enough bacon at breakfast this morning. Um, you know what? I was frustrated that I didn't get enough bacon at breakfast this morning, too, so that's okay. Um, not that they didn't give a good serving. It's just I want all the bacon. Um, <laughs> we, we, were, we were cleaning up one day, and there's somebody else across the table from us. And like us, they've got little kids, and so hands have been on everything, and so you just throw, a, throw away whatever they're eating. They're like two really good pieces of bacon. And there's a little part of me that just wanted to be like, you know, could, could, could you turn that over? If we were related, I would have just been like, let me have that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that's, 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 a, that's a scary thing, but I think, it, yeah, I think we could look at ourselves as the object in that sense, yeah. Um, so um, next week, um, more of the same, but a little bit of Job and where God told him to stop talking and why.
So, um, I will close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what it tells us about ourselves, but ultimately what it tells us about you and how from there we can go and live in freedom to love and serve you and other people. In Jesus' name, amen.